Thought Bubble Audio. Hi, I'm Kirsty. <laughs> and I'm Kelsey. <laughs> it's time to hate watch with us. Welcome to our show about the things we love and the things we hate and the things we love to hate. And right off the bat, before we actually do the thing we're here to do, I just want to come here to say the person who left us a one-star review with notes. <laughs> no, thank you. No, thank you. We specifically said no notes. <laughs> no notes. If you're leaving a one-star review, I think we can all agree that you've said all you've need to needed to say. We yeah. get it. Yeah. Yeah. So to that not so veiled criticism, we will not hear it or <laughs> respond to it. <laughs> so um, <laughs> today's episode is going to be a little different. Yeah. Uh, because it's actually a big announcement. It is? What's the news? The news is that after a great many years of years. development, yeah, we come to you today to announce the launch of our new podcast. Our new family-friendly podcast. Yes, yes. If you guys ever wanted to know what it would be like to hear us attempt to express thoughts without cursing, mm-hmm. we made a show where we, we do did. just that. <laughs> and if I may say so, we are quite articulate about it. <laughs> I only had to use one bleep, guys. <laughs> In an entire season. Yeah. Um, Kelsey, do you want to tell them what this podcast is, since it's kind of your brainchild? Sure. So, as many of you may or may not know, but we won't imply that anyone has ever tracked any of our inside jokes because apparently <laughs> that is not allowed. <laughs> um, <laughs> my origin story is the 2002 WB classic family drama Everwood. And Kirstie watched all of season one kind of on a hate watch dare that turned into an admiration of the show turned into the things we love the things we love and so we decided that because no one else has ever documented their feelings about this show in audio form on the apple podcast platform we decided we had to do the work <laughs> the world doesn't have enough recap podcasts we said to ourselves no. so what's our unique viewpoint in the recap landscape and our unique viewpoint is hey we've watched everyone yeah so if you've seen it back in the day if you're just dabbling now it's on like i don't know hbo max or yes. hulu or both hbo max and um, we recommend it. It's not episode by episode. You don't have to slog through 22 episodes. Season no. one is like seven nice, neat ep- episodes that you will hopefully enjoy. Yep. And we recorded all of season one in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's a feedbackless loop. 
of just Kelsey and I making episodes and hoping for the best. Um, And then we'll take a brief break and then we'll come back with more episodes for season two. Yeah. So if you're a little bit upset about Infrastructure Week, it's because we were also making this show, but we're not sorry about either thing. We're not sorry (laughs) about how that one turned out. No. Although... Maybe Infrastructure Week is a warning for what happens when <laughs> it's time to prep seasons two, three, and four. <laughs> no, it's fine. So uh, the rest of this episode is actually going to be the pilot episode of the Everwood Pinecast. Yeah, so take a listen. You can let your children listen, too, for once. Yep. They won't care about Everwood. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> But. This would be like what would have happened if like '90s kids' parents listened to NPR morning radio about family matters and were like, "Watch the or listen to this with me." Yeah, it's not for them, but it won't hurt their ears the way that this Correct. show may. It's commuter friendly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if it's not your jam, just drop off. Again, no one-star reviews, no notes. No notes. <laughs> <laughs> you only get to leave notes if it's a five-star review. Um, yeah. And then you'll hear it in the intro and outro, or I guess just the outro. You'll hear it in the outro, but um, if you want to keep listening to the Everwood Pinecast, it will have its own feed, which you can yep. find by searching Everwood Pinecast anywhere you find podcasts. See yeah. what we did there? Pinecast podcast. Ha. Ha. We're so clever. Pinecone. <laughs> I'm identifying the inside joke for you, as well as the topic, oh hopefully. I hope there's not too much dead air. <laughs> so now that we've addressed, I think, every facet of our one-star review yeah. that has not bothered us in any way. Not at all. We've been completely normal about it. Yeah. Yeah. Please, please enjoy the Everwood Pinecast. Yeah. Okay, bye. <laughs> Thought Bubble Audio. It's the Everwood Pinecast, Everwood's only independent weekly podcast. I'm Kirsty. And I'm Kelsey. I wasn't there the first time Kelsey watched Everwood and her life changed forever. But I've seen it enough times to be able to podcast about it. Hi, Kelsey. Do you know what would be a really great idea? What would be a great idea? Um, starting a podcast about a show that aired in 2002. <laughs> that sounds really on trend. It's super on trend. We're here to talk about Everwood, guys. Welcome. <laughs> yes, welcome to our Everwood podcast. We figured it was time to strike while the iron is hot. And by hot, we mean on its, like, seventh iteration of syndication, this time on HBO Max. Yeah! (laughs) The last time we tried to start this podcast, it was on Hulu. And the time before that, it was not on streaming. So Correct. (laughs) Yeah, we've been on a journey. We've been on a journey, and now we're hoping to take you on a journey. Yes. Um, as we explained... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, Kelsey, watched everyone 
in 2002. I did it live. And it was transformative in my teenage years. As many WB shows were in some way or another. And Kirstie thought it was too cold to watch shows on the WBs. Correct. She did not. Correct. In 2002, I was watching, like, The Daily Show and Next. And that's about it. Wow. (laughs) Both of those on a real spectrum. (laughs) Yeah, my media diet was pretty whack. Mm. Yeah. And so then in your late 20s, early 30s... (laughs) You have now discovered everyone? Yes. I had a child, and during that time was up in the middle of the night frequently. And Kelsey at the time had been on a campaign to get me to watch Everwood. So one night at like 2 a.m., while my child had extreme diarrhea, I was like, (laughs) (laughs) maybe now is the time (laughs) to watch Everwood. And... You were right. I was, you know what? I was right. I think frequently about the hours in the middle of the night when Dr. Brown brought me comfort. <laughs> so much comfort that you named your Roomba after him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> My Roomba is in fact named Dr. Treat in honor of Treat Williams, the one and only. The one and only. Yes. Fellow Vermonter. Fellow Vermonter. <laughs> yes. So, Kirstie has seen all of, epi- oh, all of episode one. All of season <laughs> yes, one. Yes, that too, though. Yeah. And I think I've seen two or three episodes of season two. Yeah. Maybe only two. She's not a completionist yet. So, no. we're going to have a little fun and watch it in real time. Yes. When we get there. But it, for the first season, we're going to just take it. Chonk by chonk. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, in fairness, I did watch the first season when I had a newborn. So it's like, it's new. It's basically like it never happened to me. (laughs) The version of me that watched the show. Well, we won't get there yet. (laughs) I almost made a spoiler joke. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Suffice it to say. Yeah. Suffice it to say, welcome to this journey. <laughs> we hope you two will love this time together. <laughs> I think the goal was to design a podcast both for people who've never seen Everwood and would not be able to wrap their heads around why you would go back and watch a WB show from 2002 in the year of our Lord 2021. Mm-hmm. And also for the people who watched the show in 2002 and have just quietly been living with it etched in their hearts with nowhere really to to put that energy yeah i think a lot of people had a soft spot for this show it does feel like whenever i see a mention of it in the wild on the internet it makes me feel like there is a cohort of people out there that are harboring thoughts and feelings about it but all but like feel like they're the only person who ever watched everwood yeah the last big surge of support i saw was when they did their like 15 year reunion maybe yeah and it it was a big day for me (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, yeah, so should we, what should we talk about? Do you want to just dive right in? you want to talk about, like, the WB landscape in 2002? Is that a good yeah, place let's, to start? let's lay a little bit of groundwork, because I do think, so, like, as you alluded to, I was not somebody who watched anything on the WB because of what it chose to be at the time. And yeah. I think that lends itself as important context because it informs so much of why the show is actually accidentally special. Yeah. So the WB, like, existed especially at this time specifically for, like, the teens. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it operated on, like, two verticals, which are somewhat still in play, but certainly way more to one side than the other, and one was, like, the teen dramas, and the other side was, like, the superhero genre, to some extent, whether that was, like, Buffy or Angel or whatever, Smallville, those types of things. And then, like, on that other flip side, it was, like, Dawson's Creek and Gilmore Girls and Felicity and One Tree Hill. <laughs> Seventh Heaven. Yeah, Seventh Heaven. So, like, those really ran the spectrum of, like, wholesome to not also. (laughs) Wholesome to witches. Yeah. It was really the Christianity to witches spectrum. (laughs) (laughs) And this, like, definitely airs towards the side of Christianity, but not not in the Seventh Heaven way. There are no, like, youth pastors. Well, there's, like, one. I mean... (laughs) I would say that if the Christianity to witches spectrum is like Christianity is to the right and witches are to the left, then it's like seventh heaven is the furthest right. Yeah. And angel probably is like the furthest (laughs) left. I definitely think I'd put angel a little further than Buffy, mostly just because I think angel feels a little bit more cursed. Mm -hmm. But I've only seen bits and pieces of Felicity and Charmed, so who knows? Yeah. Um, then I would say Dawson's Creek is somewhere between the middle and seventh heaven, and Everwood is somewhere between Dawson's Creek and the middle. Yeah, that feels right. Everwood, like, fit in this weird niche that sort of Gilmore Girls fit into that was like, we made this so you can watch it with your mom mm. and talk about sex and it won't be weird. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, there was definitely big, like, this is for you and your parents to understand each other vibes. Yeah. And, like, I watched it with my parents. It was fine. I would not have watched this with my mom. (laughs) That's that's fair. There would have been too many conversations. (laughs) And we were already a household that had many conversations. So I was fine. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to be fair, I don't think my mother really took the opportunity to have the conversations. It was just like, let's sit silently after it's over and then leave the room. And by me being here yeah. to witness you absorbing the conversation, yeah. Yeah. I have now participated. Yeah. Which, like, tracks. I love it. Big mood. Yeah, and I feel like everyone is very, like, norm normal <laughs> like the teens are teens yes. they're not like adults trying to be teens no they are gawky teens and 
the town isn't like that weird and magical. No. Although they dabble. <laughs> I was trying to run through in my brain a quick list of fictional towns that are on the like magical town spectrum. And I'm only coming up with Hallmark towns, and that's not the we'll vibe. Start was... Oh, sure. Cares oh. <laughs> who didn't engage with Gilmore Girls. I didn't. I didn't. I haven't. I won't. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no one can make me. Is that because you and your mother are like too close to the Gilmore women? No, it's because that's what everyone keeps saying. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's mostly in your like chatty behavior and. Yeah, like, I'm sorry that we're, like, intense New England women who talk really fast. Like, what do you want from me? (laughs) And live in Vermont. And, like, I'm sorry that I live in Vermont. (laughs) I'm not really giving you, like, credit because you're not a Rory. No, I'm not. I want that to be super clear. Nor is my mom a Lorelai, to be fair. No, she's not. She's not. Like, literally, it's just that, like, we're a mom and daughter pair who like each other, God forbid. Yes. But the the volume of coffee I have imbibed in your presence also factors into this equation. Yeah, that's fair. I'll give you that one. But anyway, we're not here to talk about this. Is, that this is not, and will never be a Gilmore Girls podcast. No, this is an Everwood podcast, guys. So let's go there. Let's go to Everwood. Let's go to Everwood. So, do you want to talk about the most perfect pilot of all the pilots? So this pilot, we have determined, is the most perfect pilot on television. (laughs) It's possible that that could be up for debate, but as far as we're concerned, this is our podcast, and this is our perfect (laughs) pilot. Yes. (laughs) Um, So we are introduced via the most perfect voiceover Mm -hmm. of who will become our most important citizen (laughs) our spirit guide our spirit guide to everyone um we are introduced to dr andy brown who is a world-renowned neurosurgeon and is like very important in new york medicine and we learn about him early on that he is brilliant and smart and charming and, like, the best in the entire world at his job, and also, like, a little bit of an absentee father and kind of a bad husband. Yes. And through this journey of watching the very high highs of his time doing good speeches for patients in front of (laughs) x-rays, and his low lows of not being there for his son, uh, his wife is involved in a tragic accident and dies leaving dr brown to be a single father of his two children one of them is a high schooler named ephraim the other one is an elementary school kid named delia and through his journey of grief he arrives at the decision to uproot his entire family spontaneously one day with no warning and move from new york city to Everwood, Colorado. Yes. Um, because as he says to his very angry son, someone told me to, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So they moved to Everwood. He 
begins the search for his private practice because he's decided to become a primary care physician, which is a thing that you just apparently do after spending like 25 years in neurosurgery. (laughs) Um, So he goes ahead and buys an old train station in the style of Grand Designs and Escape to the Chateau. (laughs) And he does a real fixer-upper renovation on it, turns it into a clinic, and thus uproots the town for the rest of time. Yeah. Turns the town upside down. Yes. Yes. Um, we meet a lot of town folk in Everwood. (laughs) Some concerned citizens and some less concerned citizens. The most concerned being... The other doctor, uh, Dr. Abbott, who exists to be the foil to Dr. Brown, and who is the most pedantic, incredible, perfectly written person I have seen. Yes. <laughs> Full stop. Full stop. <laughs> they they make some choices with him that just, like, I really want to go into the writer's room of your and just be like, so who felt the need to showboat and thus created Dr. Abbott. Like, what, like, flunked out, like, lit major was this for? It's, like, so on the nose, and yet there are so many layers of that onion to peel back over the course of four seasons, and it's just beautiful. It's, and in very short order, it's going to reveal itself to be this, like, very well-earned vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I, as we said at the top, I've only seen season one, but there's already an arc with him just in season one, and I, I'm so interested to see how many of those layers we get to peel back. So, so many. It's so good. So, <laughs> yeah, he also has two teenage children who Ephraim meets at school. <laughs> His daughter, um, Ephraim decides he loves, like, instantly. And then his son is perfectly named Bright. And is I still have so many questions so about this. <laughs> like the the thing about the Abbots is that they are such a normal family. Mm-hmm. So normal. So normal. Like they are written to be like, like the mom is a city councilor and a school board person. The dad is a doctor, and they're both highly educated, and they live in this normie McMansion. And their daughter does ballet. And, like, they're just so middle class and normal. And their son is a football player and should be named, like, Chad. But instead, his name is Bright. (laughs) Played by uh, Chris Pratt, who we have issues with, but... Yeah. (laughs) You know... They snuck Chris Pratt in there. (laughs) Real low-key. Yeah. I mean... This is said in jest, kind of, but (laughs) we talk about representation on television. (laughs) (laughs) This show is when I felt most represented, for better or for worse. Uh, (laughs) Which is really funny for me, a brunette, to hear. (laughs) 
Yeah. I was like, oh, a really normal middle class blonde who's like mediocre okay at school and like doesn't do much else. Sounds about right. <laughs> Like, doesn't really get into trouble. Doesn't really do it. Yeah. 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 Wasn't that, like, the entire canon of, like, 80s teen women, though? Yeah, but I hadn't gotten there yet. Okay, fair. Fair enough. I was, like, 15. I was also, like, at the right age for this show. Yes. That's an important piece of context, I think. Mm -hmm. Mostly because Kelsey was the exact right age for the show to have an impact on her. Yep. And then I still watched it and had feelings. So just tuck that in your back pocket as we go. Yeah. So anyway, Ephraim meets Bright and Amy. Yes. And he has a really hard time with this moving situation, unlike his sister who was promised a horse and was like, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Mostly because she's 10 and doesn't know anything. <laughs> right. Yeah, so he has a lot of strong scenes with his father where they clash about like why they're there and how much they both hate their lives in that moment <laughs> um and they feel real enough they feel lived in yes the fight scene that they have at the end of the pilot like, I was, like, struck by it watching it. I think this is now my third time watching the pilot, but watching it again for this, because I don't know that I've ever seen a fight scene like that. In what sense? I don't think I've ever seen a show portray that kind of, like, self-loathing, but mm. also just, like... Like, they're just so raw at each other. It's like raw anger without the abusiveness. Yeah. With a hint of self-loathing, and they're both just in their feelings. Yeah. And especially in, like, a father-son relationship, there's just a lot of variables there that I feel like make it unique. Mm-hmm. My favorite little touch on that scene <laughs> is at the end where... Andy says, like, get in the house. And he goes, no, I'm going to go for a ride because he has his bike. <laughs> and he rides off on his bike, but it's all, like, a snow-covered road, so he can barely stay on the bike, <laughs> and he just rides away. And it's, like, not commented upon. It's just, like, a real chef's kiss <laughs> moment beautiful. at the end of that scene. It's so well done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think we can move on into episode two. Yeah. Uh, which, if you've seen the show before, you may remember as the Falfa episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I love the Falfa. And it brings about a little, like, fair in Everwood. Uh, it's so like Harvest Fest. Yeah, some town action. And what happens here? So... <laughs> I feel like the main, like, the A plot is that Doc Brown is having a hard time with grief. Yes. And it manifests in vivid hallucinations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, like, turns out doesn't help if you're trying to start a <laughs> medical clinic. No, that's not a great look. Mm-mm. And 
Um, like he's still at a stage in the move where he's like this rock star in town who's like shrouded in mystique because everyone's like, where did you come from and why are you here? We forgot to mention in the pilot, he gets like a Time Magazine article written about him because <laughs> because apparently the news cycle was slow enough in 2002. <laughs> yeah. In 2002? That... <laughs> <laughs> the Time magazine in 2002 was concerned about a neurosurgeon moving from New York City to Colorado. Listen, you never know. I don't know. In 2002, that seems like a plausible thing that could have happened, but not on the cover of Time. <laughs> <laughs> I just think like we had bigger fish to fry is all. Perhaps. But at any rate, he's still at a stage in his time in the town where everyone is, like, very interested in him. And um, that's all going to come crashing down. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm looking up Time Magazine covers for 2002. Ooh, what was happening in 2002, according well, to Time Magazine? Like, if Bono could have a cover, and also some rando with the headline the science of staying healthy i think maybe dr brown could have been on the cover dr brown would have had to have discovered something to get on the cover though not just like doc brown moved to colorado i mean one of the covers is babies versus career spider-man is also on the cover <laughs> so is tom cruise like these are all, like, actually famous people, though, like... Should the, you be a vegetarian? The For context, the only, like, neurosurgeon famous enough to, like, rival the kind of fame they want you to believe Dr. Brown has is Ben Carson. I don't know who that is. Ben Carson? Should I know who that is? The former Secretary of HUD under President Trump, a former Republican presidential nominee, Ben Carson... No, I no. Yes, you Sorry. you were here in 2015. You know who Ben Carson is. Okay. I believe you. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, he's a former neurosurgeon who like got famous as a neurosurgeon because he separated conjoined twins or something. Mm. And he's been a Republican operative for eons now and has run for all kinds of office and he tried to be president. It didn't go well for him. He was head secretary. He spent like $250,000 on a desk in 2016. <laughs> oh my god, Kirsten. <laughs> he, he also um, announced like 15 days after inauguration that after Biden's inauguration that he was resigning from the Trump administration. Mm. And everyone was like, we did already. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so... That wow. was never explained either. Anyway, anyway, what this is all intended to remind you of is that Dr. Brown was not Ben Carson. No, Therefore, that's true. would not have made it onto the cover of Time. Okay. Anyway. Anyway. Who else was in episode two? <laughs> well, in addition to his hallucinations of his dead wife, there's also the big plot of Dr. Brown putting work before parenting. Which is his son's primary gripe, which is fair because he doesn't really want to raise his sister. Yes. <laughs> which is fair. You're 15. So 
Doc Brown, like, gets his first house call, and he's, like, they're at dinner at Gino Chang's, which is an important um, hallmark of Everwood. A lot of, you know, a lot of scenes, a lot of memes at Gino Chang's. <laughs> and uh, he, like, leaves his children. He's like, I gotta go to this house call. And he's like, get a cab home, and throws them money. And they're like, there's no cabs here. So then they get stranded, and then they have to take a ride from Dr. Abbott, and it's a whole awkward thing, and they have to break into their house because he didn't leave them keys. Somehow. Somehow. Anyway, that's a whole drama because he's not prioritizing properly. And there's a couple of other things that are happening at the same time. Um, Ephraim is still having feelings about Amy and like, doesn't want to go to Faltha because it's not cool, but he wants to go to hang out with her. And when they do go to Faltha, she asks him to ask his dad to fix her coma boyfriend that we hadn't mentioned yet, but <laughs> she has a coma boyfriend, obviously, because this is the WB. <laughs> there's, there's this whole other thing where Bright is like, she has a girlfriend, so then he, like, gets all mad at her. And she's like, okay, if you meet my boyfriend, you'll understand it. So they skip school and take a bus to Denver. And she takes him to the ICU and is like, behold. (laughs) Just like so weird. (laughs) I come a boyfriend. You know, my favorite thing about this is she pitches it to him at school. And she's like, come see my boyfriend you'll meet him and understand everything and then presumably what happens next is they get on a bus to denver they walk into a hospital and they don't say a word to each other for the first time until they arrive at the window of the icu where she points at her coma boyfriend and is like (laughs) behold (laughs) true Like, they had three hours on the bus when she could have chosen to explain to him what he was about to see. Yeah, there are some questions. There are some questions. (laughs) So yeah, she's only talking to Ephraim basically to get him to get his dad to fix her boyfriend's broken brain. (laughs) And Ephraim is having trouble with that. (laughs) But he knows it in his heart. And so he's like, yeah, I'm totally going to ask him. And he's like, no, I'm not going to ask him. So that's like their deal. And Delia has her own deal with her teacher, who is like a sexist, mean lady teacher. She's who- like if they took the teacher from A Christmas Story and like spliced her with the Wicked Witch of the West. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she like makes the boys sit in the front of the room and the girls sit in the back of the room and Delia's like, I wanna sit in the front and she's like, Well no, you can't because you're a girl and so then Andy has to do some parenting for the first time and he's so proud of himself. <laughs> he's very, very proud of himself. Yeah. And parenting for Doc Brown, like many other activities in his day to day life in Everwood, involves a speech. <laughs> Oh, yes. (laughs) Quite a speech. We are going to come back to that speech. We will. Um, But I think that's everything that's important from episode two. I guess the only other point of clarification is that all of these tensions culminate at the festival when Doc Brown has a hallucination 
and the entire town witnesses it. Yep. And it freaks everybody out. Yeah. He's, like, a little bit forced to reckon with his crazy. Yes. The other thing that I think is fascinating about that narrative arc is that they put the hallucination in the middle of the episode. And every time I've watched it, which, I again, I think it's been, like, three times now, I expect that to be the end of the episode. Mm. But then, like, there's a whole hike in the woods and a whole series of things that follow. Hmm. He goes and finds the boat. No, it's the next episode. Is it? Yeah. Oh. (laughs) I think. I'm pretty sure. I thought it was all the same one. Uh, I think it's the next one. Doesn't matter. Anyway, thing I want to note is, like, this show moves quick, and it covers a lot of ground. And by episode three, they're basically taking the format that they're going to follow through the whole rest of the show. Yep. They're like, we're moving, we're cranking, we've got a issue of the week, we're, like, ready to go. Which is impressive, and I feel like it feels lived in by that Yeah, point. they come in really strong in episode three with the issue of the week, and, like, don't even really acknowledge it. It's just like, good morrow, here is Dr. <laughs> Brown. <laughs> he behold. is, <laughs> he is among the townsfolk. And what is this? <laughs> A moral panic at the diner. Yeah. (laughs) And, like, you know the scene in Beauty and the Beast where Belle is, like, singing that song about her pastoral French village? Mm -hmm. I feel like that's the intro Mm -hmm. of this episode as we lead into today's moral panic in Everwood. Yeah. So today's moral panic is about uh, Dr. Brown's neighbor, Nina. And we meet her in the first episode, and she's, like, clearly very pregnant, and she also has a small child, and her husband is, like, absentee, but not, like, a divorced absentee. He's traveling for work. And um, we learn very quickly when the town decides to have an ambush baby shower that she is a surrogate. And so this is not really her child, uh, and we find out that the town has feelings about that, (laughs) that they would like to make known. But, like, also no one questioned, I mean, I don't know why you question it, but, like, it didn't come up until, like, the day the baby was born. it would come up because, I mean, first of all, people would, like, gossip, and Uh so if she got pregnant at a time when her husband was traveling. Yeah. The town would have noticed. Yeah. Also, either way, at some point, somebody in the town would have spoken to her husband about it. Because he does come home sometimes. Right. Like, does he not have friends? <laughs> Additionally, I just think it would have come up. I mean, like, yeah. people would have been like, hey, do you need hand-me-downs? Yeah. Hey, do you... Uh, did you buy a crib yet? Like, how do you get around these, like, basic conversations? What are you going to name it? Mm -hmm. And then also, what did she think was going to happen when it was born? (laughs) (laughs) It just feels a little poorly thought through. Yeah. So, the town is a little old-fashioned, 
even for 2002. <laughs> and they think, like, she must only be doing it for the money, and also it's wrong in general. Yes. So then they start trying to tip her. She's a waitress at the at Mama Joy's restaurant. And so they start trying to tip her, like, way more than they ever would. And she's like, no. <laughs> I know what you're doing. No. <laughs> and then there is a, a bit of a spectacle at Mama Joy's. <laughs> the town engages in a town hall. <laughs> there is an impromptu discourse. <laughs> there is discourse. You know when there's, like... <laughs> A character of the day on Twitter, and there's discourse. That's what took place this day at the diner. Yeah, so... Uh, both doctors are in the diner picking up their lunches. Conveniently. Conveniently. And Dr. Abbott, in his way... <laughs> Feels the need to interject and voice his concern for the situation. And it's not a good look. No. <laughs> and Dr. Brown is like, this is my moment to shine. <laughs> <laughs> and so then he tries to defend her, but in doing so, doesn't help her at all because it's like revealing too much information that she's disclosed to him and also is just no that's in part two there are two public forums okay please correct at the diner. me please correct me. so the first one at the first one when there is a vigorous and healthy debate about the ethics of designer babies doc brown gets up on a chair and defends nina's honor potentially in spite of his own conflicted feelings, but he gets up there and is like, something, something, women want to have babies. Yeah. So and let them. Yeah. Um, and the diner claps. Yeah, there is Bravo. Clapping. Bravo. <laughs> and, and everybody moves on with their day. Then later in the episode... <laughs> There is, like, a reprise of this moment mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where um, now everybody has stopped tipping Nina and is just, like, not talking to her because they all found out that the um, mother of the child is old. Yeah. And, and now, this is when Dr. Abbott comes in. Well, he did have a speech at the first one also. They're just there all the time they're together. Just, they're just always there in case a speech needs to be made. Okay. The men need their voices heard. <laughs> the men need to be there yeah. to orate. Yeah. Um, so in the first speech, Doc Abbott says something essentially like about God. Mm -hmm. Something, something, something. And then in the second speech, Nina is like... So everyone is, like, frosting her out, and she's basically like, y'all, you gotta get over it. And I, I think Dr. Abbott is there, but doesn't speak in the second one. But Doc Brown immediately, like, swivels. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, I am here <laughs> to make a speech. And he, like, stands up and starts to orate, and she, like, grabs his arm and is like, no, I got this. And he's like, no, for I am a man. <laughs> Literally. 
happens like three times, and then he discloses that they Some have an TMI. unhappy, yeah. <laughs> happy marriage, and then the whole town is like, it like forgives her. Like they're like, oh, you are trying not to get a divorce. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we got the dirt, and now it's fine. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that whole thing happens, and then Dr. Brown has to deliver her child in a donut shop. Yes. Which is like a With weird third act Ephraim's that no one house. asked for. <laughs> yeah. They, like, abandon Delia with, like, this rando who's trying to get a prescription off Doc Brown at, like, 9 o'clock at night. Yeah. And somehow end up in a donut shop. Yeah. Yes. And then the only other, like, plot that matters here is that Delia's having, like, trouble making friends. And she's got a bully. She's got a bully. She's got a bully, and she's trying to figure out how to win over the bully. And, unfortunately, she's being raised by... A 15-year-old man and a 15-year-old neurosurgeon man. (laughs) I do, like, continue to take some issue with this show, like, not knowing how to write children's dialogue. Correct. It all seems, and I told you this earlier in relation to something else, but some of the dialogue just feels like a placeholder. Like, this is what we're trying to get across, but we don't know how to say it yet. And then it just, like, comes out on the page and you're like, okay. Yes, it is absolutely the kind of stuff you put in to, like, a first draft script. Yeah. Or what you would imagine a child might say, but isn't actually what they would say. Yep. So, I'm curious if this will get any better, because I really haven't paid too much attention to it in the past, but it does feel a little stilted. I definitely think so far my biggest complaint is that they never... um, give Delia enough to do, and I think it's a writing issue. Mm-hmm. I think it's this writing issue. Because the the actress who played Delia seemed like, even for like a small kid actress, that she had some capacity. Yeah. I think they just like didn't know how to write her, and they definitely didn't know how to direct her. Yeah. I think that's true. I think she'll have... S- some moments further on but i really can't like not a ton are coming to my mind so the one thing i know that's gonna happen this season is also a moral panic and it's a really interesting choice to try to tackle through delia's plot mm-hmm. i still haven't really 100 percent gotten there well, i'm sure we will get there at some point we'll get there we'll but get we may there. not get there you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. We we will arrive there, but we may not get there. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you want to round out episode four? Are we ready? Yes. So, episode four. We haven't actually gotten to talk much yet about Edna and Irv. No, but this is a good episode for them. This is the Edna and Irv show in episode four. This is the four. Kissing Bridge episode. Yes. So, there is... A bridge in town that is steeped in lore about two lovers who had to build the bridge to meet in the middle to make out. And (laughs) it's old and decrepit and kids go there and get STDs. Yeah. And early in the episode, a kid rides across the bridge and breaks his arm. And so then the town becomes consumed with, like, what do we do with this? darn bridge yeah 
And early on, Edna seems disgruntled over the bridge, and Irv just cannot figure out why. But he's like, well, that's Edna. But also, he seems low-key disgruntled for her. Yeah, and for those of you who maybe don't know, but I guess if you're here, you know. <laughs> Edna is Some like... people might not know. True. Um, Edna is Dr. Abbott's mother, yes. who goes to work for Andy Brown kind of to spite her son, and also because she needs a job. We left this out of the first episode, but... Mm-hmm. We're introduced to her very early on. And she's like a Vietnam vet who... She sort of talks like like an old-timey gangster, except like mid-Atlantic World War II slang. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Except she's she super, was like, in Vietnam. Hardened? Yes. But you know she's like very warm to people who earn it. Yes. And she will, in many ways, be, like, the spirit guide to most of the Brown family. <laughs> yes. And Irv is her husband. Irv is her husband. Her second husband. Yeah. Um, her first husband tragically died. Mm-hmm. And the whole falling out between her and Dr. Abbott was because she started dating Irv, like, two months yeah. after her first husband, who's Dr. Abbott's father, died. Which is also important context. And also on the side, Dr. Brown and Dr. Abbott (laughs) start off with, like, a true crime mystery of, like, who did the gonorrhea. Yeah. (laughs) But then in, in a move that I still don't understand, instead of it being, like, a gonorrhea whodunit, it turns into, like, well, I think the town needs sex ed. Yeah, this is truly, like, the buddy comedy <laughs> that we all deserved, and I think we will get more than once yes. in this experience, but it's so beautiful every time. <laughs> it is beautiful. I. It's, like, it baffles me, though, because they're like, hmm, all of these girls have gonorrhea. Instead of doing contact tracing... What if we argue that the school board needs to abandon abstinence-only education? And then Dr. Abbott's wife, the mayor, <laughs> like is like, yes, I approve this idea. She, I love Mostly that. Mostly just for kicks. <laughs> she's like, this will be fun to watch. I love that meeting because she's like, no, no, no. The, edu- the curriculum comes from like the county and we have no say over it. And if we try yeah. to change it, we'll lose funding. And Dr. Brown's like, oh, don't do it as the school district. We'll just come into the school and have an assembly (laughs) and talk about sex and it'll be fine. And she's like, oh, yeah, that's an idea. (laughs) She's like, this will be messy. I love it. (laughs) She is petty and lives for drama. Mm -hmm. Our Mm -hmm. favorite brand. Our favorite. Yeah, so... Uh, in this whole STD debacle, we learn that Bright is, like, low-key a virgin who doesn't want anyone to know he's a virgin. (laughs) And Ephraim and Amy decide they're gonna skip the awkward parental school assembly 
and go to see Colin yet again in Denver because she wants to ask him to the school dance and then, like, stare him down until he wakes up in a very awkward scene. (laughs) And he does not. (laughs) No. No, it turns out that school dances are not yet a proven method for fixing comas. And somewhere in episode three or four... Ephraim lies to her and says that he did ask his dad to fix Colin and, Col- and he said no. Yes. Which will become important later, but doesn't matter which episode it was in. No. And then Delia has a play date with her bully friend. That's the only other plot. Yeah. Uh, do you want to go back to Edna's feelings? Yeah. So, over time in this episode, it's revealed that her feelings are rooted in the fact that her first husband proposed to her on the kissing bridge. Something like that. And so she's having a lot of feelings about it being demolished because she never properly dealt with her grief the first time around. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the way that she freaks out about it, you would think that, like, they were, like, the star-crossed lovers from Mm. the bridge-building myth. And, yeah. (laughs) And so her solution to dealing with it is (laughs) dragging her son out into the woods with her to be like, I did feel feelings, see? And then she... (laughs) takes a bunch of fireworks and blows up <laughs> Just the, bridge. Blows up the bridge. It's incredible. And you know what, y'all? <laughs> that is the kind of energy I think you all need to be bringing to your lives. Like, when I think about the iconography of Everwood, one of those moments is that bridge getting blown up it's so good like ask yourself what is your kissing bridge that you can blow (laughs) super illegally just to prove a point yeah uh is there anything else you want to cover on episode four not in particular i think if we're ready to talk about these four episodes as like an episode group let's do that I think what's, like, it's interesting to me, because you've picked four episodes per podcast episode as, like, a rough estimation. Oh, yeah. I've, like, low-key curated these. Kelsey's curated. (laughs) And, like, I like... The, as somebody who doesn't know what's ahead for me, I like the tidiness of these four because they're sort of, like... They're all tied together by everyone's grief and everyone's poor decision making Mm -hmm. (laughs) and everyone's like brief moments of insanity. Yeah. You know, like Nina has a brief moment of insanity where she decides Mm -hmm. to be a surrogate to save her marriage because (laughs) of the grief of her dying marriage. And Andy moves to Everwood because of his dead wife and um. Edna blows up a bridge and like, you know, they all have these like moments of insanity tied together by this intense grief that no one has resolved yet. Yeah, it does seem like the first like time you get to take a breath before you move into a different 
segment of the season almost. Like everyone gets yeah. this like building arc of some sort. And then the bridge gets demolished and then <laughs> Next time, there's a deer. And then we'll we'll start a new emotional journey. (laughs) Yeah. Like, this is just the... You're right. This is, like, the grief phase, and then we're going to have some bonding. Yes. Yes. Um, It's also interesting as, like, an introduction point, because I think they, in terms of, like, pacing, they did a surprisingly good job of being, like here are 15 characters. Every single one of them has some stuff going on. We're going to need to explore a lot of it. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Also, have you been wondering about designer babies recently? Because we sure (laughs) The show does have an interesting, like, political agenda, which is basically, like trying so so hard to be neutral oh yeah it's really (laughs) attempting to do both sides but then it's like but also dr brown has an opinion yeah yeah the i the reason i keep coming back to the designer babies episode is because i hadn't thought about this in like years but the first time i watched that episode um dr abbott starts giving his speech and Mm -hmm. i immediately had this flashback to the 90s and being like seven and watching tom brokaw and he was doing so. <laughs> you didn't watch the Evening Nightly News in like 1997, but um, he was doing so. No. I was really busy with Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, okay. <laughs> I was like, television for me in the 90s was like Tom Broca on the Weather Channel. Wow. So. <laughs> Anyway, he was doing this story about test tube babies, and Mm. there was a little graphic up in the corner that was like a beaker with DNA overlaid on top of it, (laughs) and underneath it, it said, designer babies, question mark? (laughs) So funny that you remember that. I remember it so vividly. This was, like, very much of its time. Oh, yeah. that, That was, like, a hot button topic, and there was, like... The Octo Mom. And like, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, this was a time in culture ripped from the headlines that truly was ripe for this kind of issue of the week mm-hmm. coverage. I'm sure there are television shows that are doing a more current adaptation of issue of the week. Yeah, it's Lone Star. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I shudder to think what that looks like in a post two. <laughs> thousand maybe leave it there i was gonna try to pick a year more recent than that but honestly it's been a dumpster fire for a while yeah um anyway in this timeline but you're right it is 911 lone star <laughs> like i mean unfortunately this genre has sort of fallen off to some extent i think um Blackish is probably your best example mm. of a show that's doing this, and I say that as someone who has not actually watched that show but heard a lot of, a lot of things about it. Yeah, I think that's as close as you're gonna get. What about like I know this is not current anymore, but like your Modern Family or your Parenthood. Uh, Parenthood did, but in a like they weren't really teen centric either. No, and it was like a grosser, whiter somehow way like (laughs) i think because everyone was super wealthy 
Mm. And California, and you know what I mean? Like, it was just a vibe that was like, meh. Yeah. Like, these are rich people problems. This feels a little bit more middle class. Gotcha. I also think, I've said this before about the show, and I will probably say it for the rest of time. Mm-hmm. They come out the gate so strong with tone mm-hmm. setting. Mm-hmm. You know, like, Dr. Brown just starts monologuing in his first scene in front of the patients, in front of yep. the x-rays, and I, he just never stops monologuing. Never stops. I mean, it's all very pedantic, and it's all extremely paternalistic. All the way through, like, at all levels, every character, even the show's own view of these people and what they stand for, and the show's, like, moral compass, yep. is all extremely paternalistic. But it just kind of, like, knows that itself. Like, it's mm-hmm. just, the sh- everyone comes to you and is like, I am standing in my truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which, I feel like, I don't have a good read on how unhinged this is going to be. I have a guess based on what teen dramas at the time were like. And I'm also aware of one spoiler. So, I have... (laughs) I'm stressed about this. (laughs) Oh, I think I know what spoiler it is. Even with with (laughs) this information, I don't have a... (laughs) Had I not told you this before? No! I could have sworn I told you that. Um, Harboring secrets. (laughs) Uh... I just, even with that, I don't have a good barometer for, like, how far off the rails we have room to go. Because if we're being honest with ourselves, it's all, it starts off the rails. I think it's consistently off the rails. I think there are some highs and lows. Uh-huh. And I feel that season four is a real wild ride of, one, them not totally knowing what to do with the situation they put themselves in into having a surprise cancellation Uh, to work in. Gotcha. But that being said, it mostly feels consistent throughout, if my memory serves. But it has honestly been a super long time since I have watched this too, so I'm excited to get back into it. Yeah, I just think if you look at, like, the this first episode block trying to imagine how you start from coma boyfriend and then go for seasons is like there's a lot of room yeah you know like most tv shows don't start with coma boyfriend season four is when it becomes coma boyfriend right so we're already starting in like most shows like tailspin era yeah yeah you know Mm-hmm. Um, which I both appreciate about it and find terrifying. <laughs> that is fair. <laughs> if my memory serves, season one and season three feel the most, like, grounded. Okay. Interesting. Season two gets a little wild, and season four is a little bit of a mess. So basically, like, half the show 
mm-hmm. is fine and half the show is a disaster. No, I love every bit of it, so let's not, <laughs> let's not use the disaster word here. Okay, okay, okay. Um, do you have more things to say or do you want to talk about pine cones? Let's, let's go ahead and talk about pine cones. Okay, so because this is our podcast, we decided we need a mechanism to evaluate the episodes that we watch and it can't just be like number of stars because that's boring Mm -hmm. so we're taking a eurovision centric approach here and we are going to award pine cones to every episode (laughs) or none we can decide we have 10 discretionary pine cones to be distributed every time we make one of these episodes so yes do you want to distribute your pine cones i think i want you to distribute your pine cones first okay i am going to give the first episode four wow because it's so wonderful yeah and then i'm gonna do a three and three split with episodes two and four interesting I just, I don't like episode three, and every time I rewatch the show, I get annoyed that I have to watch episode three. (laughs) And... Is it all the mansplaining? It's the mansplaining, it's the baby delivery in the donut I'm just like, okay, I get it. And then there's, like, petty stuff with, like, Ephraim wanting to go to a party and then getting uninvited. Oh my god, I hated that. I totally felt like, and I don't know how much more of that we're gonna get, but I totally felt like that was in there because they were like, well, they're teens. Yeah. And this is what the teens do. Yeah. So, no pine cones for you. (laughs) Episode three. (laughs) Okay. I think... I'm going to give, I have to do math. I should have done math beforehand. I'm going to give three pine cones to episode four. And all three of them are really about Edna. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm also going to give seven left. I'm going to give, I may do a similar spread to you. No, I'm going to give five to episode one. Okay. Because I think episode one is also a very good Edna episode. It's all about the Ednas. The first time I watched the show, Edna, like, reached out to me through space and time. She did. I really, I feel connected to Edna in a way that I haven't felt connected to a character in a while. Mm-hmm. You are spiritually the same. I just, I think, she, I think I am Edna. Mm-hmm. In a way that, like, maybe no one would expect, but I do think is true. <laughs> um, What's well, five plus three? So I have two pine cones left. Yeah. And I'm going to do one in one. Okay. Or no. No, no, no. Hold on. What episodes have I not awarded? I'm going two to give three. both of them to episode three. I JK'd. And I'm going to give those pine cones to episode three because... Wow. no love for Falfa. Okay. Fall thought was fine. It's a fine episode. I think it's good writing. I, the first time I watched it, I got very emotional about all of the dead wife sequences. Mm-hmm. The second time I watched it, I also felt emotional about it, but it does feel long. Mm. Like a lot of dead wife sequences. That's true. There are like one too many or um, far too many. 
Yeah, there's a lot. So I just really think what I appreciate about episode three is that there is a little bit of it that's setting up Andy and Doc Abbott. Mm-hmm. And I like watching the two of them spar, but I also yeah. like where I like the direction they're headed, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is informed a little bit by the fact that I've seen the rest of the season. Yep. Um, but I I like the potential that there is for the two of them. I love it. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So, pine cones awarded. Pine check, cones. Pine cones. Check that box. Um, the other thing we're going to do at the end of every episode. Kirsty, do you want to explain the Bravo? I want to explain our Bravos. So, at the end of every episode, we will retweet one moment from <laughs> the episode and award it a Bravo, <laughs> which is inspired by Treat Williams, the actor who played Andy Brown. Yep. And his signature move on Twitter, which is to find (laughs) (laughs) some kind of inspirational clickbait, typically like multiracial children dancing together, (laughs) or an animal of one species helping an animal of another species, (laughs) or a child operating a lemonade stand to pay for their parents' cancer treatments. Those get retweeted with one word in the caption. Bravo. Bravo. <laughs> and we get a Bravo retweet like at least once a day. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes more. So- and I'm just, I so appreciate it's like we're back to the, the whole theme of paternalism, like just this this deep well of of like need to Bravo. <laughs> like, what do you... What do you do? Bravo. He just has to Bravo. <laughs> yes, so now, now we have to Bravo. So now, now it's our turn to Bravo. So, what moment would you like to retweet from these four episodes? The second that you pitched this idea to me, number one, I thought it was brilliant. Number two... <laughs> This is exactly what came to mind, which was when Andy Brown gets called in for a parent-teacher conference with Delia's um, terrible teacher because she's been questioning her authority about sitting in the back of the classroom and wearing a baseball cap. And Andy does this whole thing where, like, he's talking to his daughter while she's talking to her, and she's like, he's like, this is really mean, like, well, like, what do, we, do I have to raise my hand to say anything? And then he delivers his, like, zinger. And it's, like, this very long monologue about how, like, his daughter has been through such a hard time and she's come out on the other side of it pretty well. And, like, she learned from her mother how to stand up for herself and so on and so forth. It's all coming from a good place, but, like, boy, howdy, is it a... <laughs> Is it a monologue? And the last line, he says, as for you and me, you can keep calling me in here, but next time my daughter better have done something wrong or you'll have one rowdy father. (laughs) And to that, I say, bravo. Bravo. (laughs) 
<laughs> Christy, what is your bravo? My bravo <laughs> comes from episode three. It is also a Doc Brown moment. And I would like to say that we will try to endeavor to not make it all about Doc Brown in these bravos, but I do think... <laughs> I'm not willing to promise that. I do think that these are interconnected. <laughs> um, but at any rate, episode three, when Doc Brown is giving his monologues in the diner about the ethics of surrogacy for the second time, it's in monologues part two, he has started interrupting Nina to speak and Nina keeps grabbing his arm and being like, Andy. And he's like, no, and another thing. And she grabs his arm and he's like, no, no, let me one more thing. <laughs> and then he's like, he's just out of nowhere is like, and yeah, the mother might be old and Nina may have done it a little bit for the money, but it's only because she's trying to save her marriage and so by giving this woman a family, she is saving her own. Yep. And then the look comes over his face <laughs> of what he's just done. And I feel like this is a strange bravo because it's not uplifting. Mm. But to it, I say bravo. Bravo. Because of everything you've done. <laughs> Yeah. It's like the rise and fall. Like, you can see in his brain why he thought this was going to be a good thing to say out loud. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't. Much it's like not. people who try to convince you it's heartwarming that children in America have to have lemonade stands for their parents' cancer or what have you. Yeah. Yes. Bravo. Bravo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Um... Yeah. What are some things we have to look forward to? Well, like, the deer is the main thing. I'm very excited to get into the deer. Yeah, so next time we are in your feeds, we're going to talk about season one, episodes five, six, and seven. Yep, so if you want to do homework. Yeah, if you like homework, um, catch up on those on HBO Max or on your DVD box set like me. And, yeah, thanks for joining us. Yeah, Get your fine cones ready, guys. See you next time. <laughs> this has been the Everwood Pinecast. You can find us at Everwoodcast on Twitter, at our website, everwoodpinecast.com, or our email, everwoodpinecast at gmail.com. If you like the show, you should rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. It helps citizens of Everwood find the show. We have another podcast, Hate Watch With Us, which you can find as well as podcasts about other CW programming and more on the Thought Bubble Audio Network. You can find their shows at ThoughtBubbleFM on Twitter, ThoughtBubbleAudio.com, and ThoughtBubbleAudio at gmail.com. They also have a Patreon if you want to support our shows. Thanks for listening!